Welcome back, listeners, to the BDU podcast. As always, you are joined by all four of your hosts. We have a very large array of uh, questions this week, so I figured we're pretty much just going to dive straight into them. First one's going to be uh, for you, Lawrence. Do you need to lift, lift heavy to train hard? I think that you need to be lifting heavy with regard to like relative intensity, I suppose. But, you know, heavy is such a subjective term, like a heavy load for one individual is going to be a relatively light load for others. But you could have someone, you know, who's maybe a much lighter body weight doing something that's very impressive. Whereas if someone was 50 kilos heavier, it wouldn't be as impressive. So I think for me, it's probably more so a case of hard training relating to like the relative intensity of the set rather than the absolute load because the absolute load, you know, you can't just look at that in a vacuum. But I will say that all of the people that I follow that do train, in my opinion, very hard also happen to lift very heavy weights. So I think often they go hand in hand. Yeah, yeah, I think I almost think people at the top of their game are not are not simply thinking how can I make this lighter or how can I lift light and still get my desired result. I think most individuals that are phenomenal as physique athletes are often thinking like how can I make this movement heavy and how can I get stronger to handle these heavy loads. So I almost think that that uh, wanting to lift lighter is probably not the best way to like the best mindset to have as as an athlete wanting to progress. Don't you think? I, I think the main metric of like that progression as well that you're looking f- towards in your physique is obviously the strength gains upon the certain lifts. So if you've been, you know, pushing them to the limit for multiple training cycles on end, chances are they're going to be heavy regardless by like, for example, Lawrence, by the time he's finished working that single leg Cybex, um, single leg Watson uh, leg press, like, you know, the weights are up there, especially even in prep on like the back end of it. Mm. Like eventually oh. you get to that point where it's very heavy for what you're doing unless you're just making no progress each week yeah absolutely i almost think sometimes this question arises because people tend to ask that question around like do i need to be lifting heavy as in potentially low rep ranges and much much heavier as opposed to can i get a similar result lifting higher repetitions and lighter loads uh can i still get a a positive result when it comes to hypertrophy and I mean, like, like you mentioned, Lawrence, it's all relative intensity, isn't it? So whether you choose to do sets of 15s on a hack squad or sets of eights, you're still thinking about that proximity to fatigue slash failure, which is going to elicit, I guess, a more you know, hypertrophic response. Um, but it, it, I guess it kind of comes down to what is the context within the question like, and how does it apply? But uh, I think you answered that well, quite well, Lawrence. I will say though, and I've heard Jack talk about this recently on his podcast is that I think some instance where you may need to rethink just lifting heavy or just progressing a logbook is if you've been doing that for a particular muscle group and it's not working. Like if you've been focusing and I'll use Jack's example of, of what he said. So this is not me ripping into him where he was saying like, you know, I've spent many off seasons getting strong with free weight pressing. My chest is still not where it would be like where I would like it to be, or it hasn't progressed as much as perhaps other body parts. Okay. What do I need to think outside of just training heavy? Because if you haven't received your desired result, then potentially there is something to be said for lifting in a different way, focusing on some different rep ranges, focusing on some different types of training, not just the progressive overload 
and progress in the logbook. Yeah, I think everyone should be focusing on those uh, foundations when it comes to progressive overload first before sort of worrying about other things. But I think for me in my chest training, like I've, I spent a fair few years trying to just get as strong as possible in the presses. And um, I think it's worth trialing something else. That's not what, saying I'm not say trying that? to get stronger, but like that's still at the forefront of my mind. But I'm like, I'm chasing, uh, for those who hasn't, haven't listened to the TBD podcast, I'm sort of um, trying to chase a little bit more like sensation in the chest while training and also sensation after the session as well, like some more DOMS, localized DOMS in that area. How much do you think, I mean, because like systemically for you, everything has been brought up, right? Like you've made some phenomenal progress in your physique since basically commencing with AJ. So do you think that's also part and parcel of that as well? Like you may have not potentially made as much progress in your in your chest. Maybe that is just a more stubborn area or perhaps it needs greater volumes or more attentiveness in terms of technique, et cetera. But uh, do you think that's also like a side of that has also been attributable to your nutrition? Because I know that you've, pretty pretty assertive with striking everything 100 percent in this off season that that may have been different in in previous gaining phases uh you mean like in previous gaining phases nutrition may have held me back is what you're essentially saying? Yeah. yeah 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 exactly i mean well, why well, why have you made such leaps and bounds like mm. systemically like all over in terms of yeah. your physique over the past sort of you know uh stretch mm. of time i think maybe it's partially related to nutrition like i did push up more assertively this time but that like really only a kilo or two heavier i think it I think AJ's honestly helped me the most with just recognizing my potential in the gym and just ensuring that uh, like getting up my ass when um, things just aren't how they should be performed in the gym. So making sure that X movement um, gives X sort of uh, bias towards the muscle group we're aiming to train. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. Very nicely summed up. Whilst we're on that topic briefly, because we didn't get a chance to talk about it last week, can we talk a little bit just quickly about Josh Kenyon mm. and the ridiculous package that he brought to the mayhem? Yeah, it's perfect, man. But you can bring that next week on your episode. Well, we were having I'm this joking, debate off stage. <laughs> this should be my episode, you coward. And you know it. The listeners want it. I just robbed all your questions. I'm good to go, man. No, you can go- keep on going. <laughs> oh, no. I just wanted to open up the floor because, yeah, I thought he looked absolutely insane and mm. just what a unbelievable combination of conditioning and size and symmetry and yeah just a a pretty phenomenal bodybuilder i'm just i think his season is done because he went you know for a what looked like a pretty good meal um but yeah it would have been super interesting to see him hold that conditioning and potentially get to some of the later shows but i guess that's the interesting thing about the mayhem is it's in such a weird spot of the year relative to all the other big shows like even for someone who's doing an australian season like I think if I'm right, Nick Cotty from New South Wales, he went over and did the mayhem once as well. And like, if you were to do that, man, you'd still be then hanging out like six or seven weeks before the first run of Aussie shows. So I think it's one of those, like if you ever did want to do the muscle mayhem, you might need to do like a bit of a, a one and done and, and make that sort of the main show of the season. Yeah, that's tough. I think not not too many people know Josh over over here. I think outside of our circle and natural bodybuilding, like, but I, I definitely encourage everyone just to search up Josh Kenyon on on Instagram because he truly has. A, I think it's what happens when good genetics or top tier genetics meet top tier sort of training and work ethic and nutrition, and uh, and and that's only like one proper off season from him. 
Um, Cause I think his previous off seasons haven't quite gone to plan. I listened to a podcast with him on longevity muscle. I think it was called. And um, so I think his next, this coming off season with AJ is probably going to be uh, his second proper off season. It's going to be even wild to see like what he brings to the, the pro ranks next time he competes. Yeah, it's going to be crazy when you actually have like that full structured off season with AJ. I think he's going to make huge leaps and bounds, but it is a very awkward show because it's like, it, it would nearly be like 14 weeks out from Worlds, wouldn't it, Lawrence? Like, yeah, it would be a decent little stint. So it's like, how would you go about that? Like, you couldn't hold that level of conditioning without absolutely crumbling for 14 weeks. It would nearly need to be like a reverse diet situation like what Dirk did. Yeah. Uh, next question over to you, Jackie. Um, how do you structure refeeds during a prep? Oh, wow. Such an open-ended question. So, so many ways. Yeah. So for me personally, with my clients, it really just uh, boring answer, but it really just depends on the individual. And I guess I've got two two clients at the moment for this season. And I try and pre-program at least one diet break, like week-long diet break into the prep timeline itself. Because I like to sort of put a timeline on a um, Google sheet, just with like their rate of loss, their target body weight, number of weeks out, et cetera. And I try and do the diet break after 15 weeks of dieting because we try and get the majority of or a lot of the dieting done in 15 weeks, uh, have a diet break and then kind of finish off the final nine to 10 weeks uh, with with the remainder of the fat loss and find that that's a good point to have the diet break. I also try and encourage people to have a deload at that point or a devolume. So that way we can combine a diet break with a devolume, get as much fatigue off as we can, and then sort of proceed into the... Um, the final, this final hardest stint or prep. And then in addition to that, I'll, I'll throw around like refeed days and, and high days and other diet break weeks um, relatively regularly. I would say more often for my male competitors, just because they have the luxury of being able to be on slightly higher calories overall. Um, but that's, that's the rough gist of it. What about you DC on this? Cause I know you and BK are quite a big fan of giving back to the system high days, how do you usually yeah, go about yeah, adding yeah, yeah, them in? Yeah, exactly right. Um, I think structuring a high day in terms of refeed just provides like mental mental clarity and just somewhat provides a like stepping stone within the week to look forward to essentially a higher day. I think it also allows for a coach to be able to assess you know one's look before and after a higher day, get a bit more of an un- informed understanding with regards to how to peak someone uh, running, let's say, multiple refeeds in a row. Uh, might provide more insight as to how you know a, a peak week should run, um, but I like to coincide my refeeds with sort of the harder harder sessions within the week um, from a from a from a periodization standpoint. So uh, let's say for example I have my third, fourth, and fifth training session on like a Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It might be doable to allot that refeed uh, on, for example, the Thursday. Uh, or the Friday, because that will coincide with two to three training days in a row. So that's, I guess, from a training perspective, maybe a more demanding aspect of the week. Therefore, from from the perspective of nutrient partitioning, it more, might be more advantageous to just you know uh, section those calories off when when they're going to be better used. Uh, there, there will be there will be sometimes where I might stagger a refeed. I think there's benefit with nutrient partitioning to. Uh, have a refeed consecutively, like day after day. You might, let's say, for example, you run a double refeed. I think it, it's it's likely to be better in terms of fully replenishing muscle glycogen via. Uh, I mean, depending on the magnitude of the depletion, but 
uh, having them together. So every day after day, but there will be times where I spread that out a little bit more. Maybe we run a staggered refeed and maybe that's more from the perspective of managing, managing hunger or satiation or uh, which you never want to be an issue, uh, like adherence as well, right? So, so some athletes might just really be at a point where they're struggling a lot, uh, sticking to the plan. You know, as a coach, uh, it's important to modulate the plan to try and help someone through that phase. I mean, there's part and parcel of getting very, very lean is there's going to be a point of digging and there's going to be discomfort irrespectively. But uh, I think some, some people do perhaps struggle with the hunger side of things more than others. And, and therefore, maybe staggering that refeed might just help as a sort of a closer stepping stone to help get through the week. So I think there's benefit to, to structuring refeeds, you know, personalized to the individual, but majority around the harder training sessions within the week. Yeah, a hundred percent agree. I do like putting them back to back, but for some people, um, you know, when they want to scatter their food out throughout the week where they can go more or less like two or three days, then get the high day two or three days then get another high day. It's like somewhat of a reward, um, which can be quite beneficial going into like the back end of prep. 100% agree. Um, I, might, I might jot in as well, like, because um, on the, when I mentioned the diet break for a D volume, I think that was more so specific to the diet break. Do you guys do much like full, I guess maybe you at DC, you would do like a full week diet break if they are truly ahead of schedule, you might slow things down for a week or? Yeah, I think when I plan out, when I, so when I plan out someone's prep timeline, I will always add like a buffer period, which includes at least one diet break. I mean, if we could get two, that, that would be fantastic. I think two, truthfully, is probably a bit hopeful. Um, I haven't had the luxury of being able to allocate, you know, uh, someone who has like three, four, or something like that diet breaks in their prep. I, I would somewhat argue that they're just way, way too far ahead, potentially. Um, but I think planning out, let's say, two diet breaks would, would be awesome. Um, and I guess... And just knowing that every time you plan a diet break or more refeeds to the system, it will potentially just slow down or it will slow down your rate of loss. So I think that's why it's important to, you know, you allocate your, your set weeks within a contest prep. Maybe you work out on average 0.5% uh, body weight per week from current body weight to where your projected stage weight is. And then maybe on top of that, like add four to five weeks, right? Because you, you want to be able to allocate something like that. Uh, I think, I mean, you mentioned, you know, training, training deloads and devolumization, reducing intensity, et cetera, within a prep. Um, I think there maybe has to be a slightly varied strategy when it comes to managing the training fatigue that accrues, because I think there's potentially more, more of an associated uh, risk as to just taking training off. Let's say we, we completely volume, pull volume down to non-existent while someone's in the hardest dig of their depletion phase. Um, I, I don't think that that's probably a great thing to do in terms of, uh, providing an adequate stimulus for muscle sparing. So th the strategy might be instead, let's maybe drop volume a little bit, but keep intensity higher. Uh, and that doesn't have to be for every single movement. We could potentially drop volume or I guess, let's say drop, drop, uh, intensity for some of the movements that are creating the most degree of fatigue. Uh, but let's say, for example, things like our leg extensions, our hamstring curls, maybe some of our more quote unquote accessory movements. I mean, truly in bodybuilding, nothing is an accessory. Like we need everything, right? But um, I think maybe maintaining intensity on, on some things and volumes on some things and maybe only pulling away from others might be a more viable strategy to, to manage uh, training fatigue. Because I think at the back end, I mean, how easy is it to, to rationalize, hey, coach, like I'm pretty tired this week. And then it's like, well, hey, like you reported that last week as well. We could have deloaded last week too. 
Uh, we just ran a deload. We're still tired the next week. We're just kind of at that point in prep now where every week we're tired. We can mitigate. We can certainly do some things to mitigate stress and, and fatigue right now. But we're, I mean, we're in the trenches. Like we, we just got to, we just have to kind of grind. Yeah. I find that the other, well, at least one of the benefits I see with the devolume approach is, and like sure that, because I usually do top and back offsets with uh, a fair few of my competitive clients. And I'll basically say, okay, let's, let's instead of the top set, let's just do the back off. And then we'll keep the majority of the volume similar for the rest of the session. So that way, because they're not already pre-fatigued from that top set, like the back off set, although they use the same load, it's it's already going to be a slightly lower intensity anyway. So I find that that's a relative, like, and men psychologically, that also helps the competitor as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I I find that I start relying on on things like back offsets a little bit more for uh, for for prep prep athletes um, towards the back end of prep. I think, like, let's say I'm running three sets of a back squat, uh, and, and then I transition to two two working sets and then a back offset. I think there is. Well, to me anyway, and this may be a little bit more anecdotally, but to me, there's less mental fatigue associated with knowing I have hard, two hard sets and then a back off set. Like that back off set is going to be hard. It's definitely going to be hard. But I feel like mentally, because I'm like, I'm lifting a little bit less load. Yeah, I might be like lifting more, more repetitions here. This is more manageable. So I think some people, you kind of play into the, their psychology a little bit in terms of how you structure a deload what may be perceived more as recovery for that individual from a mental perspective. And I guess this is all information that you would gather through running, you know, prior program blocks, um, you know, before potentially a, a Qantas prep starts. Yeah, for sure. Very nice. Lawrence, what are the lowest cows you've ever had to be on? This prep? Ever. Or... Come on, man. Ever. ever. Give it to us. Ooh, I think that... 500 carb, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. bro, it was, it was brutal. No, I think... I, as far as like one or two days are concerned, like depleting into peak week, I think we potentially in 2018, I remember, yeah, it was the last day or the last two days before the show, because I was right on the cusp of like the, the weight class. And I didn't particularly want to be in the very bottom of the sort of 77 and over or whatever it was. So Joey and I were like, oh, okay, let's just, you know, keep gut contents down, maybe be a little bit flat going in but at least you'll sneak into the one below and we did like two days like 150 carb which you know it was only a couple of days but i don't think i've ever run i don't think i've the lowest i've run for a whole week would be between 200 and 250 maybe not below 250 but definitely not below 200 yeah very nice fuck that's some juicy cows especially for a bodybuilder with shredded glutes yeah, you, well, mate, even even recently um joe because like we dropped calories again and he was probably sitting across from you when he did it yeah because like, i oh, sent yeah, you that photo this, <laughs> yeah um and then he was like oh this might be the last drop for prep we'll just see how we go but uh i guess we'll, we'll see what happens yeah. so now you're sitting on 350 carbon it's real hard over there isn't it i'm i'm slogging it out mate i'm, <laughs> I'm doing it tough are you, are you on 350 now training day yeah yeah. What about a rest day? <laughs> Three twenty. Yeah. Like I wouldn't even prep at that point. Like that's just uh yeah. What what did your macros <laughs> get down in the to the in the mini cut out of interest? Do you remember? Ooh, in the mini cut. Great question. I don't like actually remember. 400? I think maybe, yeah. I think we maybe just went below four hundred. Yeah, because what I find is interesting is like 
in my mini cuts, for example, like my carbs went all the way down to like two, two twenty five on like a rest day. And my food gets even higher than yours in the, in the off season. Yeah. We know of course that it's not, it's not the same for everyone, but like, I find that often in the mini cut, you'll actually have to push your cows lower than in the prep itself sometimes. So mm. I'll be interested to see what, how that kind of turns out for me. Yeah. And I'm interested to see, like, I mean, I don't know, like, for example, my, like my rate of loss has certainly slowed down, like in terms of just seeing the weight come off. And I know part of that is by design, but you know, it, when we may have to pull more you know it, it it's not always going to just play ball in a linear fashion so yeah we i think that the the beauty of it though is that there's a lot of wiggle room you know to be at like six and a bit weeks out on this amount of food is is very very good because mm. if we do need to push harder we don't need to be you know killing me with any cardio or you know up in steps we can really just comfortably pull it from the diet so yeah i think it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens from here and then at what point in the season do we decide to start reversing out? Do you guys find that, that I, I find with, with the majority of my athletes that at the, at the beginning of prep, you can often make a relatively simple and, you know, like a, like a fair magnitude in terms of like a deficit, a cut to cows and things just obviously routinely move week in, week out. We're seeing 1% rate of loss per week and it moves very smoothly. Um, you may not need to make like a nutritional update for, you know, many weeks in a row, it could be four, five, six weeks, depending on the magnitude of that deficit. Uh, and then towards the later aspects of prep, I often find within the coaching system, I'm having to make more frequent updates to calories slash macros. And I think, I mean, I would say that the adaptive components within our metabolism do slowly present, but I almost feel like there's a point where that survival mode just kicks in a whole lot harder. It just really ramps up. And I think at that point, we don't like for our effort investment, we don't yield the same result. Like, you know, calories are low. I'm, I'm, my steps are high, but I'm seeing a 200 gram loss per week. What's going on coach. Like at the start of prep, I was walking 8k steps and I was on 350 carb and I was losing a kilo a week. Why from a maths perspective, well, why aren't I losing <laughs> the same sort of weight? Like this is crazy. And it's because I guess our, you know, that the adaptive components within our metabolism are just so strong. And I say that I say so strong, but there is a, a point like that, you know, there, there, we can only be so adaptive, like we, or else starvation wouldn't exist. And, you know, we, we would just never need to eat food. So I, I think some, there are certainly some people that would need to get very, very low with calories. Uh, there's I I mean, just like how some people say below a thousand calories. Like I just partly, I do believe that they think they might be below a thousand calories, but also there's just so many different variables at play in terms of like tracking accuracy and whether they're like people in prep who say they don't track vegetables. Like if you're eating a kilo plus of vegetables a day, then that's probably over a hundred calories right there anyway. So yeah, 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 exactly right. And the fact that various vegetables obviously contain fiber and fiber is not free as well. Like depending on the fiber type, if it's a fermentable face based fiber, it may contain anywhere between two to three calories per gram. So, I mean, if someone's eating excessively high fiber, hey, the body's getting more, you know, calories from, from, from that food. I mean, I think there's even uh, adaptation within our, our gut to slow down you know, gastric motility as a means of extracting more nutrients from the fiber. I mean, it, it makes sense, right? If we slow down digestion, it gives you more time to extract the nutrients from this food. It's kind of smart from, from the perspective of our GI tract. Mm. Uh, so, you know, hey, I might, might've gotten two calories from fiber through, through the initial aspects of a Connors prep, but maybe through the later aspects of a Connors prep where things are really slowed down, 
I might be actually extracting more calories from this fermentable fiber. That's very interesting because I was actually recently pondering this within my own head of like, I haven't really changed much as far as food volume and fiber content, but I've massively noticed that like my bowel movement regularity has is so much less. It's almost like every two days you're getting, you know, something decent as opposed to like the regular clockwork which I'm sure everyone on the podcast is just absolutely stoked that they're hearing this. But yeah, okay. Well, like, can really we get reference thing. sizes? Can we get reference sizes? Like, are we getting like... Right. We're like, going to have to make this snack a... Snack size visual... Mars bars or... Pull up the Bristol stool chart. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. bring it up. <laughs> no, that's super interesting, DC, because I'd wondered why that may be the case. So I guess, yeah, that does make sense. Yeah, yeah, it's quite fascinating. I mean, I, mean, I guess, like, when we really think about it, our bodies are just crazy right like i guess what 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 our bodies do to to try and preserve uh survival i guess at the, at the end of the day prevent prevent st- starvation um yeah it's pretty fascinating but i think it's also that gastric motility is ultimately a form of energy expenditure as well so by slowing that down like we know it not only absorb more nutrients but we also expend less energy which is a double yeah. win for the body it's, it's basically a double win right so i guess like with that adaptive thermogenesis, you've got that whole reduction in, in I guess, thyroid hormone and and uh, release of, of uh, thyroid and, and I guess how it influences pretty much all cells within the body, slows things down. Plus, I get more you know calories from my food. So, <laughs> exactly right, double win in that sense. That's pretty crazy. But the more crazy thing is that you started prep on Lawrence's finishing prep macros, carbohydrates. That's what I got from that. Three fifty carb. <laughs> Yeah, what can exactly. I say, mate? No, I mean, my, my, my calories, my carbs down the end of my prep, a depletion between the first and second show. I think I was running 130 on training day, 130 carb, and yeah. 120 carb on rest day. Yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah, what yeah, are... yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's some poverty macro stuff. Yeah. But, like, I feel like it gets to a point in prep where, like B would make a cut to my calories. And I'm like, dude, just cut it. Like, I don't care. Like what's yeah. 10 carb do to me? I'm eating 40 grams of oats. You're going to change it to 30. Like I don't give a <laughs> shit. <laughs> I'm going to be suffering either way. Fucking pull that, pull that shit from me. Like, yeah. Guess checking back. You're going to just hear loud, loud crying coming out of DC's apartment room. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I ever complained about the pools or the, or anything like that. Like, mm-hmm. You know what you sign up for, right? I mean, yeah. realistically, to get to ridiculously low levels of body fat, we are strategically starving ourselves. So, hey, what's going to happen? I'm going to be hungry. Buckle up, buttercup. And I and I think when you're at that condition level like you were, with like the food already being that low, there's no way you're avoiding the hunger. And it's pretty, once you get to a certain point, you're fucking hungry all the time. And it doesn't matter if you're going to be even fucking more hungry. That's just yeah. how it is. Yeah. yeah, I feel like there's a point in prep where, it's the hardest it can possibly be. It actually doesn't get any harder. Mm. But then there's just the point of, you just need to kind of grind through those weeks now. And if it's five weeks out, six weeks out, okay, this is how hard it's going to be now. Now it's just like, let's dig our heels in and let's just grind through these last six weeks. What about you, Jack? What's the lowest carbs? Uh, I went down to 100 carb on my on some rest <gasps> days, which was... Uh, probably the wrong thing to do. I'll, I'll admit. Um, but I, I did that so I could have more carbs the next day. And I guess that's a good, a good reason as to why, like, you should always have a coach for comp prep because in retrospect, like, would I do that for a client? No. Um, cause it meant I was going into the training sessions the following day, like 
pretty fatigued and uh, and having consumed less uh, food. Well, I was fatigued anyway, but you guys know what I mean. So that was that was pretty rough those rest days. But I was definitely at the point where DC mentioned where uh, I was just willing to. I didn't care at all. I was just doing whatever it took to get lean enough, and I was already lean enough. That was the thing. Like again, I this this prep is going to be very exciting. The next one when I actually have someone in in my corner to sort of keep me on a leash. Otherwise. I, I'll um, keep digging too hard. It's a very good point that you make though. Like, especially like as coaches, like we do stuff to ourselves and like, like even like what you mentioned, but you would never do it to an athlete now. And it's like, I, I feel like learning from that experience, like, you know, really goes forward, especially in your coaching career. Like you got to learn from the mistakes and it's like, it's good that you've actually picked up that you would never do it again and you wouldn't do it to an athlete. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'd put an athlete on a hundred carb if they needed to be there. Don't get yeah. me wrong, but I wouldn't. I, I do it daily. <laughs> Just <laughs> that was a joke. Yeah, right. Um, but I, if I can say one oh, more thing, oh, you didn't check in with me this week. Oh, okay. Yeah, hundred carb. Yeah, Just random days in the off season. You've yeah. got that. Yeah. You've got that blanket meal plan. Send it out to everyone. Hundred carb. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I Make was sure just you... going to say there the um on DC's point of like, I feel like that is something that I've looked at differently in these prep where. Previous preps, you almost, especially for someone who's, you know, getting feedback from a coach, obviously, if you don't coach yourself, you sort of wait for your check-in feedback. And I think previous preps have always had that small part of you that is like, you know, you hope you get a drop, you hope you get, you know, your macros stay the same for another week. Whereas like opening up my check-in this week, after I had sort of seen what my weight was doing, I was like, you know, I hope he drops my calories because I, I want to keep pushing. Like I know there's more to go. And I think it's that slight mindset tweak of, you know, wanting to be comfortable in prep or just sort of like buckling up and doing what needs to be done. And I think that's something that only comes with time and, and experience. But I definitely think that if you can shift that mindset a little bit of, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a bodybuilder, I'm going to get on stage, I'm going to do what I need to do rather than just, oh, this is really hard. I hope I can just make this as as painless as it's going to be for the next five weeks. Because like you said, DC, it gets hard and then it doesn't really get any easier until you're like, you know, I don't know, eight weeks post-show, which kind of sucks. But yeah, exactly. Mm. When DY is rolling me out of uh, the Cheesecake Factory at 3 (laughs) a.m., I'm limping. Yeah, right after we attack those pendulums. Yeah, exactly. I feel like we're almost like we're, we're biologically geared to like be comfortable. You know what I mean? I don't think we, I mean, unless we cognitively decide to prep, there's not an inha- in, you know, inherent need to create dis- discomfort within our lives, right? We don't just starve ourselves for, for no reason, like unless we're uh, dealing with some perhaps men- mental health concerns or things like that. But I think it's, it's easy to start look at, look at, look at, looking at the coach who perhaps might be adjusting nutrition each week to yield our desired result, as in like, coach, why'd you, why'd you cut my calories this week? Like, am I, you have that internal reflection. Was I not good enough in terms of my results or, um, you know, was uh, like, what did I do to you? <laughs> like maybe these sort of internal dialogues do occur within, within some athletes. And uh, you know, I think, like you said, Lawrence, it, it just, it's, it's a time variable where, you know, eventually we start looking at that from the perspective of, okay, you know, coach is creating this adjustment because this is what is going to yield my best result you know, moving forward. And I think that becomes like at the forefront of your uh, mentality towards or approach towards a check-in response as opposed to uh, looking for 
I guess, the path of least resistance, which might be, I don't, you know, I really hope coach doesn't cut my calories this week. But to, I mean, if we, and then let's say, for example, the coach didn't because they were just purely considering the hardship the athlete was going into, we may, you know, sacrifice uh, our look on stage or producing, producing our best. I think one of the ways that I always try to rationalize making this adjustment is, you know, picture, picture yourself up on stage and that thought process that goes through your mind as to, I wish I had digged a little bit harder. You know, I think that's probably one of the worst things you can think when you walk away from, from a stage is, and I think everybody look, will have that reflection. I could have done better. You know, this is, this is great for personal growth, but imagine looking back on prep and thinking like, I wish I had just knuckled down a little bit more and I wasn't seeking comfort. Uh, I probably could have presented a better package on stage. And now I know in my next season that I just need to dig a little bit harder. I've learned from this. This is all positive, but uh, helping to rationalize that by, you know, hey, imagine you're up on stage and you're thinking I should have digged harder. Well, now you're, you know, come back down to reality right now and you're in a position where you can. So let's, let's just focus on what we can do to bring our absolute best. And nine times out of 10, the athlete's like, yeah, you know what? That's right. Like, I know I'm doing this to, to be my absolute best on stage. Let's do it, coach. Let's crush it. For sure. Very nicely said. Um, what do you do when you're in between two divisions? For example, bikini and sports, or for a male, it might be like fitness and men's physique or classic. Like, what are you going to do, DC? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess... I guess we have the privilege of being able to select a couple of categories. Worst case scenario, I think um, often what what I might do is I have someone that sits right right in the cusp of both, where they could potentially do you know, quite well at one versus the other. Is generally in that first show, I'll, I'll ask that the athlete uh, trials both, and then perhaps as a result of getting feedback and, and placings and things like that, uh, I think the athlete will perhaps suit one category a little bit more than the other, and then perhaps they can tailor sort of the rest of their season towards towards one one category you know versus the other uh, and that also might save some costs associated with registration fees and things like that as well but i think many athletes do sort of somewhat sit on the cusp of a, of a few and um so it, that can be a potential potential option yeah 100 i like that um i think it was one of your men's physique boys um last time which ended doing men's fitness he did a lot better in the men's fitness and then you catered that a little bit more towards that and he did a lot better. Yes. Yeah, yeah. exactly right. So I guess we, we can, we can look at an athlete and, and sort of the canvas in front of us and say, okay, this is, you know, where we're, where we're going to sit. Uh, but I do think that if someone's on, on the cusp, you know, who, who else turns up on the day and I guess what the judges therefore prioritize based on what's in front of them and the criteria uh, you may have that athlete fall, you know, move one direction versus the other in terms of their, you know, suitability. So that's just an example there where it's like, we've, we've struck one, we've gotten feedback. Okay. Maybe we actually aim for this instead, moving into that, that next show. Yeah. I had one similar where, um, it was a bikini girl. Um, a lot of it would probably know her from over in WA Benita. And she was at a point where she had a very, very good bikini physique, but it was probably to the point where she wasn't going to get rewarded in, um, the Western Australia shows. So, and I told her, I was like, listen, like we're at a point now where it's like, you're probably going to be too good for bikini. And I'm going to leave it up to you. I'm like, if you really wanted to do well at bikini, we need to keep you on the softer end, but at the exact same time, if you want to bring your all out, like, you know, we're sitting here at eight weeks, we can really bring something that's just like, you know, the, the, put it like this. If I was in prep and someone said to me, like, hey, do you want to hold our condition right here? Like, and you know, and just get on stage now to do somewhat well, or did you want to absolutely empty the tank, 
bring your best physique even possible and like you know represent that on stage um and that's what i more or less like told her and she was like listen like let's just fucking send it like i want to be i want to like you know look amazing i want to look the best i ever have and you know she made that decision i more or less ran it past her whereas like where she was probably in that borderline of you know probably going to be too good for bikini but then also probably didn't have enough muscle for that fitness division and you know she obviously decided that she just wanted to push it to the limit did both of them and you know obviously nearly got rewarded um with that but i think the communication with where you want to go in your division i think it is a real shame when you're sitting on that cusp of like you know probably a little bit too good for a division and the option is to pull back to fit the criteria to maybe do well. It's like, like I said, I would rather pretty much empty the tank knowing that I gave everything than have to go backwards. Mm. Mm. Do you think there's such a thing as being too good for a division? I almost feel like it's mm. either you fit the criteria yeah, or not, you right? Yeah, fit the criteria. Yeah. I mean, can you be too good for bodybuilding? I don't know. I am. Yeah. <laughs> Lawrence yeah. Aside. Yeah. It's a hard one about like that. It's just it's just nuance with 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 terminology. I'm just taking this really. It was was funny because if she competed in the Brisbane show, she would have got absolutely roasted. But she actually came second to getting a pro card. So in the WA show, she was actually perfect because they wanted that more condition sharp look. But then in the Brisbane show, if she was to do the Brisbane, probably would have placed like fifth place. So obviously Mm. the divisions and the states somewhat have slightly different. Uh, criteria not only that i think the western australia girls in terms of bikini now um you know the standards a lot higher than maybe some of the other shows that i've seen so you know when the whole standard of the shows elevated a lot more especially for like the bikini girls um i guess they get judged more or less on what the pack is actually there Mm, yeah for sure Mm. um what's the most carbs you've ever loaded on your peak week lawrence it's like one day yeah, most carbs ever consumed on one day. On your plate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. On on peak week, that's a great question. I feel like we may have had, on my final peak week of 2020, I know that we loaded a bit harder for that one. And maybe we, like, we would have definitely had, like, some 500 days, maybe a 600 day. I don't think we would have loaded more than 600. Like I've had off season calorie days where I've been on above 600 carb quite consistently, but for a peak week itself, I don't know if we've had more than 600, to be honest, certainly haven't done anything like seven or eight. What about you DC on that heavy backload that you did going into the Brisbane show? Yeah. Not, not as high as you would think. Um, Yeah. I think I was running, I think I ran about, it was like 450 carb somewhere around there. Uh, which for me, sitting close to around eight, that 80 kilo is only around like 5.5, 5.6 grams per kilo of body weight, kilo. which is not, that's not excessively high. I mean, I would say that's, that's still somewhat of a conservative, mm. you know, conservative load, maybe starting to branch a little bit more up towards the six, 6.5, you know, plus is probably starting to get a little bit more, more hefty with regards to a load. But, mm. um, you know, I think when it comes to finding someone's best look on stage, it's about loading the amount that will provide the best result in terms of look, you know, I think loading more for the sake of more is, is may just present a, a, a worse physique on stage. It's quite a high um, risk sort of endeavor. And it, yeah, high risk to potentially spin. Like I think, 
I think also running really, really high days without maybe some time to see how it looks and also potentially taper down and, and also you know, bring in tightness. Uh, we might be sacrificing more fullness for tightness, which may take away from someone's sort of ultimate look on stage. And uh, I mean, realistically, you're trying to find that kind of perfect axis between like tightness and fullness, right? And so you may, an athlete may need to sit at quote unquote, like 85 or 90% full to still retain tightness as opposed to push the envelope all the way up to 100% and then potentially risk the, 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 you know, run the risk of essentially spilling and having that kind of, you know, somewhat kind of watery look that, that, that often you hear within the bodybuilding realm, which I think is, is more a result of like the osmotic shifts in, um, in interstitial fluid that can occur just through the process of loading, loading high, high amount of carbohydrates. And I think that comes from being so lean that you can probably see those, right? I mean, if you, if you think about it from the premise that we're so lean to the point where it kind of just looks like the skin is like a glad wrap over the top of the muscle, muscle tissue, it's probably more likely that you can probably see those, that interstitial, you know, fluid retention versus someone who is adequate levels of body fat in the off season. So we know that when it comes to like maintaining, you know, muscle glycogen and, and, and normal levels of glucose within the bloodstream, it's not just like it, it sits at one level point. There's constantly hormones released to regulate those ups and downs, right? Like those, those rises and falls. So I think if you, if you load and you, maybe you catch someone uh, where they're just excessively high in terms of that, that, uh, that blood glucose before the body's had time to kind of bring that back down, that's potentially where someone may have that sort of somewhat washed out look on stage. Yeah. What are your carbs, Jack, highest in the peak? So they're, they're actually higher in my in my first season. I think they got above 600 than like 625 or 650. And what would that second, have been? Like eight grams per kilo body weight, probably? Probably nine? More, yeah, more like nine. Yeah. Uh, yeah, nine to even, yeah, around nine, mm. which, yeah, was, and I mean, I wasn't as muscled as my second prep, but I mean, I still bought the conditioning uh, for that season. And I think we had a good balance of fullness. I think I was as, as lean as I could pretty much get for the degree of muscularity I had, um, mm. especially the lower body. And um, yeah, I think as per what DC said, like that axis between tightness and fullness is quite an important one. And I think, I think in natural bodybuilding, in my opinion, it's probably better to err on the side of tighter rather than fuller. Uh, Cause like, it's not a good look to spill over and have all that extracellular fluid floating around. I think it's most of the time it's going to be or almost every time it's going to be better to be tight. Not only that mm. as well, I feel like when you do spill over as a natural athlete, it takes, it, it's just not a small change. Like it's weeks of dieting that you could visually probably see the difference between. I remember seeing one guy and, uh, He's probably a very, very good coach. And one show, he looked absolutely sharp as hell. And the second show, the coach admittedly told me that he had spilled. And you could visually see probably like five, six weeks of dieting between the two. I was like, holy Lord. So it's definitely, especially with natural bodybuilding, when you can't play around with some other stuff, um, airing on that side of maybe a touch tighter if you were to play it safe. Mm. Do, you, do you guys recall what what you looked like when you were in the process of spilling like i'm talking like i'm talking about let's say post-show when foods foods essentially coming back up do you remember thinking anything because i for example 
I remember like after my show, you know, obviously introduce more food, go out, have some meals, et cetera. And I could see myself spilling. Like I could see my physique mm. in the process of spilling. And I'll tell you what, I was the most vascular I had ever been. I was never that vascular on stage. Yeah. Uh, and that is a symptom associated with, with spilling, right? Everything is just topped up, like topped mm. up to the brim. And I remember thinking like, oh man, it would have been so cool if I was like this vascular on stage. But you look at, you look at my glutes, soggy as shit. <laughs> midsection soggy as shit so it's just like like you, you can't have both you know what i mean and that's why i think it's about it's about finding that best look on stage i feel like you often get those individuals that say oh coach like i looked better like two days after the show you know when i started actually eating more food well yeah i mean you probably did look better like your arms look better you probably look more full etc but you know where we actually were some of those finer lines like just faded out it no longer had feathering in the in the outer quad the glutes look soggy, you know, the ab veins, uh, sorry, the, the abdominal separation in terms of actually being able to see that kind of separation of the fascia, like that's gone. Uh, those finer vascular pathways in the lateral portion of the ITV, that's gone. Like, you know what I mean? So it, it, again, it's about finding that kind of perfect like axis. Hey, but your arms look leaner and veinier. You know? Hey, you're great in the gym with a singlet on. Just yeah, yeah. Off. <laughs> yeah I, I do remember actually spilling over. I think it was probably like a couple of days after show. Like everything was tolerated quite nicely. And then you, I got to one point one day when it was just like, holy shit. Like you could visually see like, yeah, there's like a very big difference in terms of like body fat or like, you know, actual water that um you were holding. Mm. What, what about you, Jack? Did you notice when you spilt over post-show? Yeah, for sure, of course. <laughs> yeah. One day just woke up fat as fuck. Well, it was definitely on a day specifically. <laughs> that day where yeah. I sort of consumed everything. But yeah, uh, yeah I mean, I, I definitely think most people won't be lasting days, that's for sure. More like hours. Yeah, hours yeah. Post-show, they all spilled, which is normal, of course. Yeah, and that's kind but, of what you want to do post-show. You want to spill because that's the journey of recovery and regaining body fat. You just want to do it in, a, in the healthiest and controlled manner possible. Mm, absolutely. And I feel like, some athletes may actually have to somewhat spill to peak their look for a particular like you know part of the day right to look their absolute best for that last you know division of, of bodybuilding or you know whatever whatever category it is um you, you may you know we might be looking at an athlete and i have to push in more carbohydrates I, I work out their you know caloric maintenance for that day and i'm like yeah we're probably quite a bit above like where it would usually be uh and i think that's often why like we, we had a question a while back as to like why do people run depletion after like a show uh and it's usually because we've just replenished so much at that point there is a maybe a potential to spill on uh, like towards the back end of the, the show day especially if you've then got a, like a follow-up show you probably need to bring that back down again so you can kind of re reload fill the tank up on from empty pretty much you know kind of more or less where you can go what they can tolerate and sometimes it's probably a bit easier to do that when they've literally got nothing Mm, mm. Uh, especially if the feedback is we've got to be a little bit leaner next show mm. it's like okay well we can't be leaner if we're topped up can we so yeah. we're gonna need to pull that down a little bit yeah um have you guys ever taken time off on the back end of a prep from work uh, yes. i think we've I've already resigned yeah like <laughs> lawrence resigned 28 weeks ago wasn't Mate, it yeah I, I haven't been working He's serious for about 16 it weeks yeah like you boys work at the same time must must not want it bad enough yeah that's funny yeah, no, I've um, but if anyone's um, yeah, there's a GoFundMe going at the moment because obviously I haven't had income in several months. So <laughs> yeah. if you could contribute to 
it's just the basics, you know, flights to America, um, dream tan, whey protein, that sort of thing. So feel free to get involved. We'll link below. <laughs> um, I personally haven't had time off on the back end of prep, but I have dialed down client loads. So probably like, you know, it, there was a point there where I wasn't taking on new clients, especially like probably like eight weeks prior to the shows, just because I knew how hectic it would have been. And uh, obviously I wanted to ensure that all clients were pretty much taken care of. So I haven't taken time off, but I definitely have um, reduced client loads. What about you, Jack? Uh, I didn't take time off, but like my... I could restructure my check-ins to a point where like it was, it was very manageable. And at that point when I competed, like it was like in the midst of COVID client numbers weren't as nowhere near as high as they were now anyway. So I think it will be a different ball game when I do prep next year, like what I decide to do. But I, for, for people who have, I guess, more conventional jobs, like outside of online coaching, I personally encourage my clients to take some time off, at least in peak week. Um, mm -hmm because being able to control that week and relax more is going to have its advantages for sure. hundred percent. Yeah. Jokes aside, like I have actually, I've got some time off coming up. I'm fortunate in that I have Wednesdays off anyway. So like uh, it's a non-clinical day for me. So obviously for Townsville, I've got the Thursday because that's the day we're flying up and that week off. And then I believe same thing for Melbourne and actually for the WMBF show, it was originally going to be, on a friday saturday so i ended up taking leave for the thursday for that show as well but now it's been moved to just the saturday but i've just kept the leave because you know a little bit of a day up the sleeve to just chill especially the day before the show like i was very intentional about getting those off so that i can do my running around get my tan get a bit of a session in and then actually have time to just put my feet up for the last half of the day and, and just relax and then of course we got I've got about three weeks off work for the for the USA trip. So I'm really looking forward to that actually. I haven't really had a a proper holiday as such since since starting work. So that's gonna be nice. Now that you mentioned it, I don't think I've ever had a week off <laughs> for fucking now like four years. Even while on holidays, I still end up doing a bit of work. Might have to take it off with you, Lawrence, so we can go on our romantic honeymoon. Oh mate, I can't wait. The, the Jimbro honeymoon. You're staying at Oaks in Townsville, Lawrence? The hotel. I am indeed, yes. Nice. I am indeed. Yeah, yeah so I'm gonna I'm getting in on the Thursday and then I'm actually leaving the night of the show. So well, we I've are got, too. Like, we might be on the same flight. Oh nice, perfect. What you, you can drive me to the airport. Hey, wait, what seat are you guys in? Like <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I'm in first class, mate. Probably yeah. you, yeah. you probably won't see me. <laughs> first class no, to think... Townsville, eh? <laughs> All right, yeah. First class for like a forty-minute flight or whatever it is. Um, no, I think it's like it's in the PM. Like it'll be like I think it's about five PM. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Regardless, like yeah, we that would be great. Actually, day, regardless, that's the important thing. If we can uh, maybe potentially split a Uber or taxi fare to the airport, that would be sure. tremendous. <laughs> yeah. Well, I need You're to bring uh, the dogs, still, right? Still book my flight, yeah, yeah, so maybe. Of Give me the deets and I'll uh, I'll be there. Uh, well, okay. If we're all going to be on the same flight, surely just hire a jet. Yeah. Yeah. Like a private yeah, jet. Up. Like, why wouldn't we? Yeah. <laughs> but I'll still sit on your lap, Lawrence, surely. Oh, 100%, mate. We yeah. can't, uh, especially when we buckle up, you know, all infants, they've got to sit on the mother's lap. Yeah. Shouldn't take hurt you the out glutes, of the basket. Though. Yeah. Oh, mate, it'll be hurting the glutes by then. 
the glue i plan on imprint like leaving a mark on the seat that i sit in on the plane they're gonna be like what's all this like jagged like what's happened here there's lines all through it yeah um tips for feeling exhausted in the back end of prep i would normally ask lawrence this but i don't think you're going to be exhausted on 350 grams of carbs that's for sure what about you dc on those weeks that you were just hauling ass um how how did you get through it what tips did you use um oh like like i said i feel like there's a point where it's just no matter what you do it, it just gets hard right so i think i mean realistically what is the lowest hanging fruit here it's like prioritize as much sleep as you can and and i guess referencing that it might be uh, a matter of for example evaluating like how much fluid you have in in the pm prior to going to sleep because that can certainly you know affect how many times you're, you're getting up and going to the bathroom and that might obviously disrupt your your sleep um i guess improving sleep hygiene from the perspective of like blackout curtains um you know maybe an eye mask or something like that just like anything within your power to help yourself relax and get quality sleep is i, I think is an important piece um, I also think you know, nutrient timing is an important aspect as well. So perhaps trying to save some carbohydrate allotment around your training window, because realistically, that's probably where we're going to be spending majority of our energy for the day, uh, to, you know, towards our training sessions. And I think another piece there is just really trying to just manage stress. So keep, keep your mind occupied, keep your mind busy. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm really a big fan of like journaling as an example in prep. I did it myself because it just helped me to manage stress. I listened to like relaxing music, uh, feeder waves, like things like that. I just listened to things to try and like relax my mind and I just have a structured routine in place. I think is also you know, an important piece. So there's less decision fatigue associated with your day to day. Everything is just routine meals, same sleep time, same duration, same pre-workout nutrition, same, like those sorts of things I think is just so important towards the back end of prep really trying to maximize all the like the little details to make it as easy as possible and i think that more or less like accumulates and makes it a lot easier like you said like nutrient timing sleeping even training times like you know trying to keep everything as streamlined as possible um even like the allocation of steps which you know you probably um can attest to like you know splitting up your steps across the day instead of like allotting 10 to 15k within like you know the back half of the day um especially when you do get up earlier in the mornings and you want to stall out some of that meal timing maybe doing some steps some fasted cardio um even prior to consuming your first meal could make it a lot easier Mm. but one thing is also the mental side of things like the when you get to that 10 weeks or like that eight weeks from out from show, everyone that is going to be putting in work on that stage is going to be hurting. And that's one thing that you got to realize. And if you take your foot off the gas on those back eight weeks, it's going to separate you from probably what a lot of other people. And at the exact same time, there's also probably a lot of other people that are eight weeks out that are going to take their foot off the gas. So, you know, that needs to be more or less like in your forefront of your mind as well to continue pushing, to continue ticking the boxes and, you know, ensuring that you're giving it a hundred percent because you can give it a hundred percent for the first 20 weeks. That shit's easy when you're sitting there and you're hauling ass on 120 carbs, like what DC would have had to do. It takes, it takes a lot to be able to dig deep on every single day going into the back end. And I can tell you, there's not many people that when they hit eight weeks, they're going to be putting in that work, like what you might be. Mm. Mm, absolutely 
I would almost create like the analogy of, of, of prep as being like somewhat of a race and not a race in terms of who can get there the quickest, but I would envision myself like essentially racing with my competitors towards a finish line. And for every step that I missed or meal that I didn't time appropriately or didn't day, day I didn't prioritize my sleep, I would visualize that someone was taking a step in front of me. And so like I would almost help to rationalize that all these things that I'm doing in prep, nailing all these aspects, uh, I'm like continuing to pull ahead of these people and I'm staying ahead of the pact. And I guess that was just kind of my way of, I guess, envisioning uh, how to stay on track is that, you know, realistically the goal was to always, you know, always bring your best to the stage, but ultimately you are going to be up against other people on stage. And, you know, if you're not going to put the work in someone else is. So it's, I think maybe having that in the back of your mind as well as to, you know, the things I'm doing, it's going to pull me ahead of everybody else. So, you know, these things that need to get done. 100% agree with what you said there, DC, in terms of like, you know, ensuring that like all the boxes are ticked because I know if I'm not ticking them, then I'm more or less falling behind. And for me, it would be very hard going into the back end of prep, knowing that I wasn't ticking the boxes and I wasn't doing it. Because in my mind, if I'm not doing everything that I can to step on stage, like I realistically don't deserve to get to where I want to. Like if I want to win a pro card and I know for a fact that I'm not ticking all the boxes or there's other competitors that are taking like what you said, like those steps in front of you, in my mind, I don't deserve it. And that's just one mm. thing. It's like, you know, if I wanted to go to where I needed to be, ensuring that all the boxes were ticked were non-negotiables. Mm. exactly yeah you jack you got anything dad in terms of how um, to get through the hard days depends how well you can like how much flexibility you have over your schedule so for me when i was prepping i had a lot of maneuverability in terms of when i did check-ins and when i trained and when i ate and i just ticked off the hardest stuff um in the first few hours of the day like i did most of my steps i went and did training i did some check-ins at that time or I produced some content and that way when I got back from the gym which was usually I think roughly 11 or 12 p.m um I didn't really have to do much at all like I was just finished off whatever work I had and then I just relaxed and, and ate my meals so I think uh, and that's I find often in prep when you're the most fresh like you wake up you feel pretty high energy you're alert and Therefore, I think everyone should be making the most of that time. So if you can put some stuff in there that's productive, like getting in your training or doing maybe some work that you've got to do or your meal prep, then um, I'd make the most of it. But yeah, you, Lawrence, you got anything to add on those very hard 350 carb bar days where you're really pushing it to the limit? Feet are heavy, training's getting rough. Mate, you know better than anyone that there's only one question you have to ask yourself. Who's going to carry the boats? Dy, who's exactly. going to carry the boats and the logs? Yeah, no, exactly. I, I definitely I concur with what the boys said. The only thing I was going to add is exactly what Jack said there. Of just like, you know, get stuff done in the AM. You know, whether it's going through your rounds of posing, practicing your vacuuming. Like, I just always think to myself, I'm probably not going to want to do this later. So if I have the time now and I have the energy now and, and prep. yeah, exactly. Because you're 100 right. The reason why people normally get up pretty spry and they wake up feeling pretty fresh is because their body is ready to eat. Like there's, you know, seldom a morning in prep where you drag yourself out of bed. That's when you feel the best because you're like, oh, sick, meal one is here. Let's go. <laughs> it's more so, you know, the end of the day where you're hauling ass a little bit. So yeah, get all the big stuff done as early as you can. And then, you know, afford yourself that ability to just sort of die at the end of the day if you need to. <laughs> die. 
Let's go. All right. This would be the final question. Should you track pre-workout and creatine if you're in comp prep? Um, I guess you could also probably add in fish oils here as well. What do you, what's your take on that, Jack? Did you track uh, I don't think you need to, if it stays consistent, mm. like if it's remained the same for the past three years, then no, I don't, it's not going to change anything, but if yeah. you introduce it in prep or at a particular week in prep, then yeah, I would start tracking that. Mm. What about you DC? Same yeah, deal? I think, uh, yeah, yeah. Pretty similar. I think, um, I, I wouldn't go ahead and track, uh, things like creatine and like citrulline malate or, or better alanine as an example towards my total protein, just because I don't think uh, it's a very, um, you know, the, the, there's not a, an abundance and diversity of various different amino acids within, within that, uh, so it, within that protein, right? So I, I would track it, but it would essentially take away from my complete HPV style protein for that particular day. So I would almost just maintain consistency across the aminos that I might be consuming, uh, pre-workout nutrition, et cetera, and, uh, and allocate the remaining, you know, protein as something that is going to provide more diversity in terms of amino acids. Yeah. I'm pretty much the exact same as Jack. Like I didn't track my pre pre-workout and creatine, but that being said, I just kept them to stock standard the entire way through. So in the end, it wouldn't have made a difference regardless. But I think the, that's it for today, listeners. We appreciate all the questions. We have a lot, a lot of questions. Um, T-shirts should be getting sorted within the next week or so. So be on the lookout for those. Um, thank you all for tuning in.